You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good, oh. Good morning, church. My name is Martini Butler, and this handsome, beautiful man next to me is Red Butler. I candy for sure. Uh, welcome to welcome to South Bay Church 2023 kickoff. Can we get a, can we get a clap for that? Yes, we we made it to 2023, right? Right, we made it. Oh, we made it. Yes. Yes. January. Yes. Yes. Ren and I will be presenting the 40 day of the of prayer scheduling and um, information that you guys need to know for the next couple months. Um, although prayer can be done from any bodily position, do you guys know that the Bible lists five specific postures of prayers? Does anyone know any of those? Just shoot. Okay, that's one. On your knees. Hand raise. Anyone else? I heard standing up. On your knees. We're missing one. I feel like I, we, we missed one. Sitting. Did, did someone say sitting? Sitting. I think that's five. We did five, right? Sitting, standing, kneeling, hands raised, and face to the ground. Um, I have a scripture I'd like to share with you guys. It's Ephesians 6. Verse 18, let me find it, and it reads, it's the, this is a message version, it says, in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long, pray for your brothers and sisters, keep your eyes open, keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Or drops out. Um, I don't know for you guys, but... Um, you know, 2023 started with very challenging, and um, prayer for me is how I make it through my day. I have three kids. I love my husband, but he could be a little cray-cray, and so, <laughs> and then life, you know, life happens, and so I need to put on that armor. I need to be praying. Uh, prayer connects us to, to, connects us to God. Um, so that um, we can experience his power, and nothing is too big, and nothing is too small. Amen. Not Red's going to Amen. Thank you for that. The arm candy gets a chance to speak, so I'm excited about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think you mentioned this yesterday, but for some of us, it feels like even though it's, what, June 20-something or other? No, it's January. Or January 20-something or other. <laughs> it feels like, it feels like June... Three weeks equals six months in some of our hearts and minds, yes? yes. Kind of Freudian slip that. That was the preview to the actual statement. Uh, it's been an interesting time. And so it's funny how God works in his sovereignty. You know, we talk about doing plans and, you know, every organization, church included, has a kickoff. And, hey, what do you want to do? What's our theme? And, and you know, we're talking about this months ago. And we were thinking about, hey, about, you know, prayer and praying the spirit and 40 days of prayer. I can't think of a more fitting setup to start this new year Amen. than to be in prayer. Amen. You know, in the book of Esther, it mentions this idea 
that she came to her, you know, her queenship and she's in this position for such a time as this, for such a time to help her people. And I think, honest to God, I don't know how you feel about, you know, starting, you know, kind of programs or different curriculums. Some of us have been in church for a long time. You can kind of get a little jaded. Like, oh, here we go again. What's the new thing we're going to do next, you know? But honest to God, this is perfect to have an opportunity to go through 40 days of prayer to have powerful, bold prayers as a group, to see the miracles of God in our lives collectively. I'm excited. I genuinely am. And so what we want to do is kind of go through just a little bit of logistics. Uh, So we're all on the same page through the months of February and March, kind of briefly mentioning uh, the what, why, and how. And so what is it? I'm glad you asked everybody. 40 Days of Prayer, if you don't know, is a 40-day devotional book by Kit Cummings. So for some of you, you know, we've done different things in the past where there might be a really large workbook that looks like an Encyclopedia Britannica for those that understand that reference. Um, This is relatively straightforward. Look at the size of the book. If you turn it sideways with the hand model, you can see it's not very large in size. Okay? So... The key, and here's, here's probably, it's not the challenge, but it's kind of the excitement, if you will, is it is a devotional book, so every day the goal is to do it. Every day. And it, um, todos los días, every single day. And that's the, that's the extent of my Spanish. Devotional book, it's relatively straightforward. It has some questions and some prayers. You might write a little bit as well in terms of seeing the prayers and that are being answered in your life. Really excited. Now, the cool thing about this, in addition to the, the workbook itself, let me go back to that. I want to see that yet. We're going to have, don't listen to him talk yet. That gentleman, Kit Cummings, the author of the book, he's going to be with us. Yes. And so we're going to have uh, a kickoff with him coming up on February 1st. And then we're going to spend extended periods of times in virtual live series as well. So I have a slide for that, and we'll get to that in a second. Did you want to? Yeah, so at this time, I want, we want to kind of hear Kit Cummings' why. And it's a little bit of a promo and a hello to us here in L.A. What's up, family? I'm so excited to hear there's another group that's beginning uh, 40 Days of Prayer, especially around the world. I mean, I can't tell you how grateful I am, uh, tumbling, uh, it's exciting. I've been praying for this to spread, you know, one to another, and, um, and that's exactly what it's doing. So I've got uh, a church in LA that starts the beginning of February, and then as soon as we get done, I've got a church in Baltimore that is gonna be jumping on, and then as soon as that gets done, Pittsburgh's coming on. And so to hear that, uh, that we have a group down there that's gonna go through this, it makes me very happy. Um, I just want to give you a couple little um, thoughts to frame it and to set it up. Um, Think about it this way. It's when the scales fell from Paul's eyes, he could see things clearly. Same eyeballs, same brain, but a different perspective. And he was able to see things that he couldn't see. Same with Elijah and his servant, Gehazi, is uh, historically what his name was. If you remember the story, um, he was scared to death because God's people were surrounded by enemies on every side. And then Elijah just said, open his eyes. And God just, same eyeballs, same brain. All of a sudden the scales were gone and he could see 
what was going on that he couldn't just a moment before. This 40-day process is a chance to get new eyes because we're gonna change the brain and we're gonna start noticing things we haven't noticed and we're gonna start finding things that have eluded us and we're gonna start just changing the way we look at things because if I change the way I look at things, the things I look at change. This is a miracle journey, all right? That means that um, it's, there's no big ones and little ones. A miracle, we're gonna change the energy of that word and um, it's gonna be when the divine gets involved in human affairs. I call that a miracle. Albert Einstein said either everything's a miracle or nothing is, I choose the former. And so this world of miracles appeared to me the longer I put together this process. This is something I did for myself. Um, it wasn't a book that I wrote to release to the world. Um, and so this is, it's a miracle treasure hunt is the way I look at it. We're going to bring a childlike spirit into it. We're going to set aside our preconceived notions and our judgments for a second. We're not going to have shame and guilt as a part of this and self-critical judgment. We're just going to open our eyes and connect with God first thing. That's why we hit our knees. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It's just the first thoughts and words go to him. You're going to write down the things that you're looking for your, what I call impossible prayers, the things that we rely on God. It could be marriage, it could be finance, it could be children, it could be health, it could be a, just a reoccurring character defect, a sin stronghold, it could be a job, it could be a destination, it can be just whatever is deepest on your heart. This, this is a program for um, breaking through the areas that have you bound mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, whatever it is. And I'm finding people that are having great success. So as I write them down and review them every day, now I begin to go out and look for signs that God is working on my behalf to bring about my desires. I delight myself in him. He grants me the desires of my heart. I write down the desires, review them every day, ask for signs, pay attention. When I see them, write them down. When I fall off, get back on quick. We're gonna repent quickly. We're not gonna be stuck in judgment or shame or guilt. We're just gonna get back on the beam and we're gonna stay in a, in a state of gratitude for as much of these 40 days as we can. And as miracles start rolling in and you circle them, you make note, you give him the credit, and then you tell the whole world, shout it from the rooftops. And you'll get a momentum developing where if you do this 40 days in a row, your brain can't help but change. You will rewire your brain so that you can see things differently. Right now, the brain is operating on patterns that you have taught it over a period of time. The way you do your quiet time, the way you see the church, the way you see the world, the way you see yourself. We're gonna challenge all of that, but we're gonna do it in a way that's kind of light and free and fun, and it has a momentum to it. I wanna encourage you, just do it the way it's laid out, 40 days in a row, and don't be mad at yourself. Your brain is gonna hold on to habits because it thinks it's supposed to. We gotta do it 30, 40 days in a row to break old habits, replace them with new ones. So excited that you're on this journey. Let me know how it goes. Um, for LA, I'm coming to see you next. <laughs> and then Baltimore and Pittsburgh, buckle up. This one's going all the way to South Africa. So I wanted to make one introductory video and uh, just blast. And so thank you, love you, can't wait to come and see you. Be the peace you wish to see. And believe in miracles again. God is definitely in the miracle business. We just got to open our eyes. Peace. See you soon.
Amen. Hopefully that gets you a little excited about this upcoming program, yes? You know, and truth be told, it is more than just a simple program. It's far more than just an academic intellectual exercise. It is very experiential in terms of our walk with God and what we're going to see in our prayer life. So very excited about that. Let me pull up the next one. I'll go back. All right. And so a little bit of a breakdown for you as a prayer. How? So as we mentioned, the devotional readings are daily, and that would begin uh, if you're trying to go for the 40 days and we're doing it all together in line with uh, each weekly subject, you would start reading on February 1st. So February 1st would be the first day of reading. Hopefully you have this, this sheet right here. The hand model is, again, displaying it. This, this is in your beautiful uh, orange bind, uh, folder, I should say, that has uh, kind of a schedule of things that are coming up next. And so I'll, I'll delve into that briefly in a second. As I mentioned before, all the virtual sessions are live from February 8th to March 2nd. So February 1st is the kickoff and the first day of our reading. We will be all together here in the SDA building at 730. And so that's to start off. Kit Cummings is live in full effect, uh, sharing you know, his ministry in 40 days of prayer. Uh, from that point going forward, we will spend the remainder of our times in small groups. And so if that makes sense from the 8th going down to at least the uh, 15th of February uh, February to March, we'll be together in our small groups. And the way it's set up is, again, it's a virtual live, maybe 45 to an hour with Kit. And then at the end of each one, there's discussion questions. Discussion questions you can find in your 40 Days of Prayer book. So after the end of each week, once you get through a week, it has discussion questions. And that will be in line with the topic that Kit is doing for that particular week, if that makes sense. So each Wednesday, Kit will be a live virtual session, and then in our groups, we'll go through discussion questions together. Uh, the extent, again, of your workbook is right here. You're looking at it. So good morning, South Bay. It's good to be here today. Obviously, the theme we've got going here as we head into the uh, beginning of the year is the need for the restoration of powerful prayer. And, you know, it's it's been interesting over the last few years. I feel like the Holy Spirit's really guided so much of what we've done here locally, whether it was Ben Barnett, Ben and Tammy when they came out, in light of the different things that took place after that with social justice, injustice, however you want to frame it, uh, the... uh, uh, Harlem and Vanya Salim, and uh, getting this thing on the book with Kit going back a ways for such a time as this, right? You know, and I think one of the things is people of God that we really need, yet sometimes it is something that evades us, is powerful prayer. Uh, Today in Acts 4, we're going to see boldness, the boldness of the early church, and how God moves when people pray. We want to pray in a way that's shaped by a spirit-filled imagination as to what kind of an impact would God have if he was walking the face of the planet right now today here in the South Bay. In the 70s, you know, it was kind of cool uh, Wednesday night with the guys. Uh, I I love it when the men have the opportunity to come together. And we kind of talked about movies from the uh, 90s. It was amazing. Uh, The recollection this group has, possibly not so much the age of the group as it was the fact that Whatever's been filmed is out there in perpetuity. But I'm going to mention something about the uh, 70s right now. And most of us remember there was kind of a runaway hit in the 70s uh, by a guy by the name of Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) Movie was entitled? Exactly. Now, 
can anybody tell me who the character in Rocky was based on? Uh, you're obviously talking amongst yourselves, but nobody's really come up with anything. Somebody's, I see phones popping up. Somebody's getting ready to Google it here and come up with it. Well, uh, can anybody tell me who those individuals are? Yeah, we all know who Muhammad Ali is. That's not really the question here. Who's the white guy? Well, he is the character that Rocky is based on, but he's actually a person. Chuck Wepner. How many of you knew that name? Uh, I saw a couple hands there. You knew the name, but not enough to remember the name. I guess is how that plays out. Anyways, Chuck Wepner was uh, known as the Bayonne Bleeder, and that, you know, generally speaking, if he got punched in the face, he bled profusely. He was a messy guy out there on the mat once he got hit. And he was a good fighter. The issue was he wasn't really a great fighter. And, uh, you know, when that fight with Ali was scheduled, everybody figured it wasn't going to last more than maybe one or two rounds. Um, he was a 20-to-1 underdog as far as Vegas and the numbers that were put on it at that point in time. Ali bragged, I'm getting paid $1.5 million to fight this pug. And it's fool's gold. He said, the sucker is a cinch. Now, needless to say, he went on to predict he'd knock Webner out in the first three rounds. That's not exactly how it turned out. Webner went the full 15. And the Associated Press stated out of the 15 rounds that he actually took 14 of the 15. This big, awkward barroom brawler from New Jersey stood toe-to-toe with a world title holder. And this guy took some crazy shots. I've gone back and I've looked at some of the, uh, the old footage. He took those shots and he did not buckle. He actually, uh, at one point in time, Ali went, almost went down. He totally he connected with his, the left of his jaw and totally staggered. He backpedaled and managed to stay on his feet. Anyway, I love the underdog. You know, we got a few football games going on this uh, weekend, next weekend. Uh, I'm not going to say who I'm into. Needless to say, you guys all know I don't have a horse in the race, whatever. But uh, I do enjoy the underdog. And, you know, just thinking this through, that's the stuff that legends are made of, right? I mean, there's some movies we didn't cover Wednesday night because we were talking about the 90s. But, uh, well, Braveheart was one of them. I love Braveheart. I love Gladiator. I love the 300. And what is usually the thing involved? You've got one person or a small number of people coming, to, coming against just like these crazy, incredible odds, but they pull together and there's power in that. I mean, it's the plot line of so many movies through the years, right? You know, fighter passes prime, outmatched and beaten, yet coming back in the final rounds to rise victoriously, beating whatever it is that's been thrown at him. It could be aliens, it could be other gladiators, whatever. But what we're about to read this morning in Acts 4 is the account of one such hero, a man named Peter, or Petros, a man whose name meant the rock, or Rocky, you know, just putting it out there. My uh, biological dad's surname was actually Rocco. His dad was Peter, so there was some firm foundation stuff in there somewhere. But anyway, in Acts 4, we're seeing Peter as this man of boldness and courage, a man who's willing to go head-to-head with the Sanhedrin. 
the ruling body of the Jewish nation, a man not only intended to preach Christ no matter what the cost, but who preached with such an amazing boldness that most of us would envy him. So with that, Acts 2, verse, uh, excuse me, Acts 4, verse 23. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I am super excited about Kit Cummings coming out and what that represents for us. You know, there's a number of you that have already participated in it in this group. And everybody I've talked to that's been a part of it has just been so amazed by, because of how, as Kit put it, we visualize things, things that we miss today because of bias, culture, things that we've been raised with, whatever it may be, and we miss out on the miracles. And just knowing that we're in a position where, wouldn't it be awesome at some point in time right here that because of the collective prayers of this group, this building were shaken. And we knew that it was because of God walking with us. And just really understand, we live in an age of opposition. We are no longer really a Christian nation. But understanding with opposition, opposition leads to power because of prayer. But we go back and we take a look at Peter. We go back just a couple of months prior to this particular situation Peter was a beaten man. He had stepped into the ring with a much stronger opponent, a demonic force who knew few equals. And he had been beaten badly. And Jesus had warned Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Luke 22, verse 31. And in the beginning of that conflict, Satan had hurt Peter badly. Not only did Peter end up denying Christ three times before the crucifixion, But after the crucifixion, John tells us that Peter and the other disciples, were were these guys out there preaching the good news? Were they out there going after? Were they bold and courageous? No, it says that they were in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. John 20, verse 19. So now there are some who might say, well, Steve, does that that mean that you're saying that uh, Peter here, his failures were because of uh, Satan, the fact that Satan was behind it? Yeah, the devil made him do it, partly. For one thing, Jesus did warn Peter that Satan had demanded to sift him like wheat. And that tells us there was something going on behind the scenes that we're probably not completely aware or familiar with. But this much that we do know is there's this amazing spiritual struggle that was taking place between the powers of darkness and a mere mortal man named Peter. 
a battle that Peter, there was absolutely no way Peter could ever begin to think about winning that on his own. And similarly, we're warned that as Christians, we're engaged, are we not, in the same kind of spiritual battle? We lose sight of that. Light, darkness. Good, evil. I mean, this is, this is the realm that we're in. This is Satan's realm every minute of every day. With that, really understanding, and, and this has got to be a reminder with, in light of what we have from Paul here in Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, our conflict is not against flesh and blood. It seems that way sometimes, right? But the reality of it, our conflict is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So keeping that in mind, in other words, when we step into the ring for Christ, when we become Christians, when we go to church, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time reading God's word, when we talk to other Christians about Christ or other people about Christ, as we walk with God, we are facing off ultimately in each of those situations against Satan himself. I want you to think about this for a minute. From the moment you said that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, Lord of the living God, Satan's objective was to take you out. Now, just think about it for a minute. Go back, some of you, uh, we know with Chelsea it's 21 years ago. Uh, Some of you, it may have been just a few months ago. But think about the point in time, right around the time you got baptized. What were some of the things that slipped back into your life that you maybe had thought were done or gone, that tried to sidetrack you? Anybody want to just throw something out there that, uh, smoking, a boy, I mean, anything that was sin in our lives before that we thought we had cut off and maybe had gone for a while without, any of these situations, uh, somebody's mentioned a boy, you know, all of a sudden an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend from way back out of nowhere, I didn't even know they had my number or a new one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There, there's so many different things that take place. Old friend, um, was there any negative family influence at the point in time you decided to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Sin you to repent of, creeping back in? Just all these things take place. Satan would try to do anything he could to bring us down morally, mentally, physically, and ultimately, the final nail in the coffin would be to take us out spiritually. To hurt us so badly, we never, we'd never be much of a threat to his plans or his purposes. That's exactly what he tried to do with Peter. And he nearly succeeded. And that is the first thing I want you to see this morning. Satan is not an opponent that you want to make light of. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. There we go. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Your enemy, my enemy. If you haven't ever had the opportunity to see it, and I'm sure there's some of you that are younger in this group that have not, you need to watch The Ghost and the Darkness. You want want to get an idea as to what Satan, how Satan works, how Satan targets, how Satan takes you out. It's an amazing movie about a real-life situation with two different lines in Africa that targeted 
individual people. It wasn't a matter of food. It was a matter of taking them out. And this is exactly how Satan functions. The letter from Jude has a particularly interesting insight on this. In Jude 1 verse 9, it says, we're, we're told here that even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, Michael's this amazing angel with all kinds of crazy ability. I think he might have just gone after him. In my name, dude, I'm taking you out. He didn't even have the arrogance to do that. He understood how powerful Satan is and his need and reliance on and to invoke the name of the Lord. Revelation 12 tells us that as Christians, that's how we overcome Satan as well. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Revelations 12, verse 11. The reason Satan nearly destroyed Peter was that Peter wanted to defeat evil his own way. We, we know, we look back at, at, at Peter, he was kind of an impetuous guy. Uh, he was pretty tightly wound, didn't take a whole lot to trigger him. We knew that he cursed. We knew that he whacked people's ears off. I mean, there were, there were, he had some issues with temperance, right? So when it came to Jesus' ministry and the way it was to be run, if Peter didn't want Jesus to do a certain thing that he didn't approve of, he had no intention of allowing it to happen. At one point, we know that he even rebuked Jesus. Mark 8, verse 31, it says, in Mark 8, verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. You know, he spoke pretty plainly about this, and so did Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And uh, it may have been any number of things. Maybe he didn't want it to happen to Jesus, or maybe he protracted it on out, realizing, well, this is the guy I'm following, and if this is where he's going, what the heck does that mean about me? He had the audacity to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine that? But when you and I try to run our Christian lives our way, on our strength, by our wisdom, Aren't we in a way rebuking Jesus just as Peter did? We're telling him, hey, Jesus, I got this, man. Christianity, I got it. Discipleship, I got it. Our actions show we don't need his influence, his input, and his oversight when we function like that. His power, the spirit that lives within us, we're even negating that. We can do it ourselves, and the moment we do that, Satan's got us. We're caught in Satan's spiritual web. And that's how Peter used to do things. Peter was a man who was used to overcoming his problems by his own strength. Once Peter was a, a man accustomed to forcing his will on others, you know, we, I mentioned already, via threats, anger, pride. Peter was a man who was used to getting his way, but now in Acts 4, we see he's a different man based on this passage. Notice, take a look at how, what he does differently in Acts 4. We find that the Sanhedrin isn't happy with Peter's preaching, so they ask, by whose power? What name did you do this? Or in other words, who do you think you are? How dare you do this without our permission? The old Peter probably would have gotten angry and probably ended up in an argument or maybe pulling out that dagger and doing some damage like he did to that centurion's ear. 
But instead, he approaches it differently. Anger and argumentativeness that would usually be the things that slipped in with him were gone, and it gives way to just really understanding this. When we function that way, we're not surrendered to Christ. Galatians 5, verse 18 tells us, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, argumentativeness, uh, you know, factions, choosing, choosing sides. And Paul goes on to say, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is, these are the things that we need to really be focused on based on the battle we're in. Love. You know, when we open our mouths and we talk about stuff, is, is this an overriding concept? You know, are we, we striving to be edifying with our speech? So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. And I, I think sometimes we can get so caught up into what we shouldn't do, the sin, we lose sight of what we should do. Living in accordance with the way Jesus conducted himself. So a potential takeaway here is, if you're argumentative and contentious, you're not being led by the Spirit of God. You are being led by your sinful passions, your sinful opinions and perspective. Peter, however, doesn't, in this situation with the Sanhedrin, he doesn't get argumentative. Acts 4, 8 through 12, notice how Peter speaks. It says, then Peter, there we go, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. You know, he even starts out respectful. What, what do we see here? He respects their office, their title, who they are. If we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter's gentle. He's respectful. And what does he do? Who does he point to? He points right back to Jesus. It had nothing to do with what he did. It had to do with who he served that did it. So we see this here in Acts 4, verse 8. And, you know, honestly, based on the gentleness and the respect as he points to Jesus... As being, you know, Jesus is the focus. He's the focal point of the conversation. This baffled the members of the Sanhedrin. Why? These guys are used to, argue, used to arguments. Uh, they're good religious Jews. They're used to arguing about even the finest point of the law. Paul took advantage of this once when he was on trial before them. When he mentioned that he was on trial because of his belief in the resurrection of the dead, pandemonium broke out. These guys loved to argue. But Peter didn't argue. And we see here when Peter finishes speaking, we're told that the Sanhedrin took note. I mean, his approach had way more of an impact than if he had gone, gone after them with all guns blazing. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized these are not schooled ordinary men. They were astonished. They weren't put off. They were astonished, and they took note of these men that they had been with Jesus. This is what we always want to leave people with, right? Who have we been with? We've been with Jesus being a light to the world, being a salt of the earth. It's just this. Leave people feeling that they have just spent time with Christ. 
You know, I look back at, at my younger days as a Christian, I was impetuous, incredibly arrogant. There's arrogance in there. For those of you that know me, there's still arrogance in there today. I just figured I'd go there before my wife did. But I think just thinking through this, I would get stirred up. I was crazy passionate about things. And usually in interactions, when someone was going head-to-head with me, it was argumentative. It was pushback. So it got to the point where nobody heard me. You know, those of you who know me, i got a few things to say on occasion. But my approach was one that I, looked, I wish I'd done it differently years ago, because I'd be in a much different place today. And things in the church, things that I've had the ability to have influence in would probably be in a much different place today. You know, I, I was, I'd have these talks. Oh, you're just angry. You're just prideful. You're this, that, and the other. And um, I wasn't able to make anywhere near the headway that I could have if I had approached it with the fruits of the Spirit. You know, sometimes I guess maybe it's an age thing. You, I wouldn't say I've lost any of the uh, passion, but I do realize there's a much more edifying way of communicating with people. And I think because of that, I've got a much broader audience when it comes to people listening to what I have to say when it comes to what the Bible has to say. Not just here, but within the realm of other leaders and some of the leadership that goes on globally. And I, I am kind of ashamed, honestly, that because of my approach, I wasn't listened to, but that was on me. And I, I've got to own that. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, You see when you're led by the Spirit of God, you have, we see this, that there is courage and conviction. But when in addition to that, you're kind and you have a gentle spirit, you will astonish people. And they'll take note that you've been, and they have been, with Christ. And this is how the battle with Satan is won, by allowing God's spirit to guide our perspective and our behavior. But that's only half of what you and I need to do when it comes to defeating evil. In Acts 4, we find that the Sanhedrin dismissed Peter and John for a few moments while they discussed how to handle... I mean, they didn't even know what to do with these guys at this point. There wasn't anything to... They, they couldn't figure out how to approach this from an argumentative standpoint. So they dismissed them, they gathered up, they f- tried to figure out what to do with them. Then they called them in and, can- and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They understood the power that these guys wielded because of who they walked with. And they didn't want them to be able to attribute it to Christ. So now, put yourself in Peter's shoes here. If you'd been with him in the Sanhedrin and told you not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, what would you have done the moment you left the room? And, I, you know, we're all different. We all function differently. I know how I function. And I'm not a big fan of people telling me what to do. It's probably part of this. But... I don't know about you, but I would have gone out to the nearest street corner and started screaming and preaching about Christ. Why? Well, I already kind of let the cat out of the bag on that. You can't tell me what to do. If I want to preach, I want to preach. And you just try and stop me. You know, they, they tried to do that in 03 when all that stuff was going on. When it got to the point where they wanted to censor what I could say, I said, you know what, guys, keep your stinking paycheck, but I'm going to continue to preach. I don't, I don't care what you do but I'm going to preach. I'm staying right here, and I'm going to preach. Now, I want you to notice what Peter and John did differently upon their release. Peter and John left the Sanhedrin. Where did they go? They went back to their own people. 
And they reported all the chief priests and elders had to say to them, which I can appreciate. Um, the first thing they did was not to go back out and preach. The first thing they did was go and report what had happened to the church and gain their support. Next, we're told that Peter and John did this. The church raised their voices together in prayer to God in Acts 4.24. You know, I really appreciate Andy. I think it was a week ago. Um, you know, and, and this, is, this is just who Andy is. I mean, I, I aspire to have anywhere near the degree of humility that he has and his approach to things and his temper. And he's, he's been a, an incredible influence on me. Um, I don't want him to take the blame for any of the stuff that you guys would feel differently about. But, uh, you know, he, he called me. He said, hey, go, he said, oh, Steve, da, 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 I had this situation experience. What do you think about this? And I don't know about you guys, but that idea that he had about the, the prayer with response, I don't know about you. I felt all kinds of power with that. I was blown away by the power of the response of this fellowship. And it just kind of, as I was reading through this stuff, prepared for the message, it kind of reminded me about what Andy did a week ago. So really understanding, too, the second thing that happened here was the church prayed about the problem they now face together. You know, I look back at 03, uh, I'm not sure I prayed about my decision to resign from the church then. Um, you know, I was just so ticked off at being censored, which, again, impetuous. God blessed it. It all worked out. Not exactly the way that I had anticipated, but God had it. He had us. So just really understanding, again, the power in corporate prayer. In Matthew 18, uh, verse 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So, in other words, if we're going to shake up Satan's kingdom, if you want to tear down the gates of hell, then you need to pray. And you need to pray with other Christians. As one wise person once observed, Christ's soldiers fight best on their knees. And this is a huge part of what we have coming with Kit Cummings and the 40 Days of Prayer. That's what Peter and John did that day. They fought on their knees and they fought together with the rest of the church. And notice what happened when Peter and John did it. God's way. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly in Acts 4, verse 31. Jack? I'll just go ahead and land the plane and, okay. They prayed. They were led by the Spirit, and they were given boldness to preach. Now, granted, they still disobeyed the Sanhedrin. They still defied Satan. And they also refused to not let go of the charge that Jesus gave them. But they did wait until after they petitioned God and laid hold of all the power of heaven. Ryan and Dessa, yes, we will bring you both the book, The 40 Days of Prayer. They text me during church, so. Um, but yeah, as we talk about prayer, you know, I talk to God all throughout the day. I mean, from the greatest things to the smallest things, green lights, parking spaces, and then, you know, miracles. She does, and usually delivers. Also for Brian. It's true, it's amazing. But, you know, we think about some of the great prayers as we're talking about Kit Cummings coming, and then. Um, and I think he said something about uh, 
changing our brains. And I thought, I do need my brain changed. That's good. Um, but yeah, and so I think about these great prayers. We can all think about the, you know, the walls of Jericho falling after prayer. We think about David and Goliath. We think about Moses calling water out of a rock and, at prayer. And, you know, I love this account of prayer in the book of Second Chronicles. Oh, Lord, I definitely need these. Okay. In the book of Second Chronicles, in chapter 20, we see where Jehoshaphat is going up against, and the army of the armies of God are going up against uh, Moab and Ammon. And it says, then Jehoshaphat, in verse five, stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, and he started talking to God, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. And they go on to pray. They continue to pray. And then, um, as he stood in, in the assembly of God with God's people, they continue. It says in verse 20, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And they set out, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, and people of Jerusalem. So those are God's people. So listen to me, people of God. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. And what a song. Song is basically prayer in, in singing. Many of our songs are prayers. Um, so he says the Lord, and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the end of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Moab, from Mount Seir, to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. What I noticed here, it says, as they began That's awesome. to sing and praise. God had already been working. Yeah. But as they began to sing and praise... God did the work for them. And they find that they get to this place, to the place of their destination. And the work that they thought they were going to have to do, God had already done. And that to me feels a lot like prayer. And I think if we understood, I'll just speak for myself. If I understood the power of prayer, I would probably be on my knees way more. It's kind of like if I understood heaven I wouldn't want to stay on earth another second. And that's so hard for me to grasp. Like, how could I ever want to leave my grandchildren especially, right? My kids. Um, but knowing that heaven... <laughs> what did they say? Which thing? Oh, and Steve. <laughs> Steve, will, Steve she's, she's, more than likely, she's, she's, will already be there waiting for uh, me. Yeah. Because he's a lot older than me. You, you guys, go easy on my wife. The reason she didn't include me, she knew I was already there. He would already be there. Maybe. We'll see what God does. But anyway. But if I understood, if I understood heaven, right, 
if we understood heaven, there's no way we would want to stay another second on this earth, which is so hard for my human pea brain to understand. Remember, Jesus called us sheep. If you ever study out sheep people, that was not a compliment. Yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling that. As mammals go, they have the smallest brain per capita as a mammal. <laughs> it was not a compliment. We need to be led as we need Jesus as our shepherd. But what blows me away, and what I was thinking about, I was listening to Charles Stanley. Yes, not Andy Stanley, but the OG Charles Stanley. <laughs> and um, he was talking about he was talking about prayer, and it just made me. I mean, it was just so profound. He's talking about in Genesis, and the scriptures tell us that Noah found favor in um, in the eyes of the Lord because he listened to God. And because he trusted him. And his question was, do you know how to listen to God? Mm. I was like, wow. Do I know how to listen to God? You know, as we pray, are we willing to ask ourselves this question? Um, as we're praying, God, do I know how to listen to you? Am I listening to you? And uh, after you listen to him, are you ready and willing to listen to his answer and are you willing to trust in him then and uh, what he said is he goes think about it you can pray all you want to pray if you don't trust God you're wasting your time and I went oh man and so then I I just took some notes and we must listen to him and trust in him many times I think we don't listen to God I don't listen to God uh, we close out our prayers with a sense of, you know, we, we close out our prayer in Jesus' name, but do I really close out my prayer with a sense of expectation of God's answering my request? Mm. Whether it's yes or no, God is still good. And I think every one of us can think about a prayer right now that either God, we would say God didn't answer. I can think of a prayer right now that I'm praying currently that God, I could say God is not answered. But I think sometimes if I'm really listening to God, I don't want to hear the no. I don't, wear the, I don't want to hear the answer is no, or the answer is wait, or the answer is not now. And we can pray and pray and pray, and I will go to my death believing that God will grant, especially this specific prayer. And I may not see it in my timeline, in my lifetime, but that God will grant it. Do we pray with those expectations and in a, in a way to listen to God? Um, I found it just super challenging. And I think what happens is sometimes as I pray and I'm putting things before God, that's like the finish of it. But God is still working. It's not, it's not the completion of a task or that I prayed this, this prayer. It's waiting in expectation and listening to God. And I'm really looking forward to this series because, um, one, I need my brain changed. And he also said, um, discovering that when the divine gets involved in our human life, in the human condition. And I think there are so many miracles before us. There's so many miracles yeah. before me every single day that I miss because I'm not in tune with the divine and really listening to him and not just talking at him or to him. So what, what my prayer is for our church is that not only will we develop and maybe reignite 
an awesome life of prayer, but prayer is where we wait in faithful expectation and that we're good if the answer is no. That that is how much we trust the Lord. That if the answer is no, we believe in all our heart and trust with everything in us that God is still good. Amen. Thanks, man. So I think one of the things we're probably all in agreement on is we do need a restoration of bold, powerful, spirit-led prayer. Amen? Amen. You know, I did want to uh, commend the uh, Thomases. Uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, at the point in time, early on with the Craigs and Brian's prognosis, um, Owen and Ramon had got a group of teens, and they went out and did a Jericho walk uh, for seven days and then seven times around the Craig's house. And I just thought, you know, that's what we need. I just thought that was such an amazing thing to take the initiative in. And I, I know God was glorified through that. I know God was pleased to see what those young men and women were doing uh, in, in that particular situation with prayer. But I think really understanding we need to take hold of the power of heaven so we can pull down ultimately the gates of hell in our walk with God and in the lives of those in our community, our family, our friends, and our neighbors. So we're going to go ahead and transition to communion right now. I want to do things a little bit differently. But let's, uh, if we could take the house lights all the way down. Let's take the time to bow our heads and appeal to God for him to work mightily in this upcoming restoration of bold, powerful prayer. And each and every one of you know what the specifics are, individuals that you're wanting to pray for, being grateful for the blood of Christ and what God has done for us through his son. I'm not going to pray for us here today. Let's just take the time, take a minute, two minutes, just to really meditate on God, what he means to you, and the fact that we can take an opportunity like this to pray to our Father in heaven. God bless. Hey, who? Crazy dreams. Hey. I won't worship mortal men. 
So they threw me in that lion's den. Vicious teeth were all I saw. Till something came to shut their drums. You can find a scratch on me. In fact, that night I fell asleep. When morning came, I shot them on. Cause I got sights for me. to the South Bay Church podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.